print. You don't go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. This is Hour 3 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson on the WRAD Talk Network. You can never know what it's like. Your blood like when a fuse is just like ice. And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you. You'll wind up like the wreck you hide behind that Number three underway here on this Wednesday. It's the Hall of Fame hour. David Till joining us on the program coming up in about half an hour. The first of the two Hall of Famers, though. He's the voice of Virginia Tech football. His name is Bill Roth. It's time for the Roth Report. From the talk of the New River Valley WRAD, it's time for the Roth Report. Now along with Virginia Sports Hall of Famer and voice of Virginia Tech football, Bill Roth, here's Rick Watson. And good morning, William. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Rick. Good morning to you and to everyone. Hope you had a good Valentine's Day and getting ready for Hokies basketball tonight at Georgia Tech and uh, getting ready for a a full day of classes as well here on Tech's campus. That's right. A lot going on and a lot we're going to get to from the sporting perspective, but I know you wanted to start, and it still seems surreal that we lost uh, Jeff Charles last Friday evening. For those who don't know, Jeff was the voice of the Hokies from 83 to 87. He was hired by Coach Dooley uh, when Tech's coach came from North Carolina as the athletics director and football coach at Tech back in 82, 83. And Jeff's the guy that hired Mike Burnop to be his analyst yeah. back at, those, at that point. And, and Great guy. He spent five years at Tech, very close with, with Mike and Mike's family and vice versa. And then he went to East Carolina in, in uh, 1987 and never left. He was the voice of the ECU Pirates. So every time the Hokies have played East Carolina since uh, 87, which is probably, what, 15 games, maybe mm-hmm. more? Yeah. Uh, um, Jeff was there, and I've been to his home. He was always so nice. And they were in Tulane on uh, Friday night, and... Uh, such a sudden passing. Uh, they had to cancel the game. Uh, this happened in front of the, t- the team, the right. East Carolina team, and just a horrific weekend for everyone. And uh, so hard for Mike because they were they were obviously very close. And even though Jeff had been gone for over thirty years, they were they were still tight. And mm-hmm. When we inducted Mike into the Hokies Hall of Fame, Jeff drove up. Uh, and whenever we played, there was always time to get together. And you know how the broadcasting fraternity is. Yes, uh, yes. Everyone's close. And for this to happen on a road trip when he's away from his wife um, is just just so hard. And the, the logistics afterwards now because of this have been very challenging. Uh, fortunately, ECU's athletic department is being very generous and helping uh, in, in, in this week and everything that happens after uh, an unexpected passing of someone. But I just feel so sorry for Debbie and all, all ECU fans and, and Hokie fans who know Jeff right, and, no and doubt. who remember Jeff. Well, well said. I mean, there's no doubt. It's just a, it's going to leave a, a lingering hole going forward for all broadcasters, especially those in our region. But his legacy, my goodness gracious, as you just said, I mean, that's, 
and the tributes that are coming toward his way much deserved. I'll tell you what, just a, a giant in this business, Jeff Charles. Um, speaking of giants, your uh, Level 7 podcast is really good, by the way, that you do with Mike Burnup, and you had a chance to talk to the uh, head football coach at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I hope everyone has a chance to hear it. Uh, it was really interesting to see some of the things that Coach Pry talked about. You can find Level 7 wherever you get your podcasts, right? Whether Apple or Spotify right, right. or wherever. Um, you can log on to Hokiesports.com and you can just play it off your computer if you want. Or you can you could uh, subscribe. Uh, he definitely thinks the Hokies will be better in 23. Uh, he, he, we're doing these 6 a.m. workouts this week. Uh, yes. So that's what happens here in February. And and there's 20 new players, and that makes a difference in the depth of the team, and it makes a difference in who those 20 are. And he he really opened up about some of the uh, about some of the newcomers, why they are talented, and why they will make the incumbent players better by pushing them and creating competition. I thought it was uh, he, he was very candid about last year's team, what happened, and and why he thinks the fall of 23 will be better for Hokie fans and for his team. Didn't he tell you guys he, he didn't think he did a good job calling the defense, right? I mean, he, he, he's pretty humble about that. You know, he tried to <clears> – <throat> yeah, he said that. He, part of it was joking. He said, I, you know, I wasn't very good calling the defense and I wasn't good at being a head coach last year, jokingly because – in a way, but, but basically he was trying to do both. And it wasn't until the Liberty game that he let Marv, Chris Marv call the defense. And so what, what Brent said was there were times during the season where – he was working with the defense instead of looking at the play clock or timeouts remaining or in a special team's huddle before a kick, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard when everyone knows the biggest move is from the assistant coach to the head coach job. It's not, it's not just moving down one office or in, in the college basketball you know, metaphorically, it's more than just moving over one seat on the bench. Right, right. There's a lot of things that happen that are the head coach's responsibility. And it can be really hard to get away from those those defensive team meeting rooms that you've been in for 30 years because you're in charge of the offense now too. And you're in charge of discipline and missed classes and visiting with a donor and doing a commercial, right? And all those things. And, and, and he's going to change the way he uh, delegates and change the way that he spends his time uh, this year and he thinks it was necessary to do it last year because he wanted everyone to know how he wanted things done but that's not how he's going to do it in this, this coming season well he remains very bullish doesn't he on chris marv and tyler bowen here going into year two incredibly high on both yes and um you know a lot of it was personnel they they they, they think chiron drones is, a, is legit you know the kid did not transfer from baylor to virginia tech to be the backup quarterback. right right he came to compete for the starting job they're convinced that he will push wells who's clearly the more experienced quarterback of the two he's the most experienced quarterback in the program maybe in the league but drones is incredibly athletic they're really excited he he, he was out there this morning uh so uh, they're, they're working really hard in these pre-spring workouts, and uh, they like what they see out of him. And he was a very highly recruited athlete who won at the highest level in high school, a championship team in Texas. And he came to Virginia Tech to do one thing, and that's to be a great quarterback and make this team better. And so that's pushing everybody in that quarterback room. It's the Roth Report here on BDST. 
Well, can you? I'm glad you're going to bring up the net next because we've had a lot of people ask. You've been all over this. You've been looking at this going forward, how this potentially could end up being a very bad omen for Virginia Tech, right? The overall net rankings, which seems to be the go-to now in terms of at-large bursts in the NCAA. Well, that's the metric that the NCAA has gone to. They feel it's more accurate than the old RPI, which you can still look. But the RPI dropped, too. So just to put things in perspective, the Hokies are at Georgia Tech tonight. A week ago, they were 50. Remember we talked right, about they were right. right. They lost to Boston College, and they dropped five spots to 55. And then they beat Notre Dame on the road and dropped two more spots. Mm-hmm. So you see what happened. Just by playing Notre Dame, you lose spots. Now, Georgia Tech is ranked lower than Notre Dame. So coming into this game tonight, Georgia Tech is 218, okay? So if the Hokies win tonight, they'll probably drop two spots. But if they lose, they'll probably drop at least five. So you, it, from an NCAA standpoint, you can't lose the game. But even if you win, you're losing ground. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's going to happen even again when the Hokies play Louisville, who's in the 300 range. So for Virginia Tech, the key is – they're going to have to beat Duke. They're going to have to win these other games. They could probably lose one more game, but they probably have to, to win six of the seven and get two in Greensboro. Otherwise, they're going to have to win the tournament. And one big matchup I know you're watching tonight is the way Georgia Tech has been able to successfully defend Hunter Couture so far in previous matchups. You know, it's really interesting. Many basketball teams change defenses, but it's kind of Georgia Tech and Josh Pashner's M.O., and, and they've done a really good job in his career. Couture is just 3 of 19 against Georgia Tech from three-point range, and that's bothered him somewhat. And um, I, think, I think it's going to be really important for Padula um, to, to recognize defenses and get Tech in at Virginia Tech. You can't say that when the Hokies and Jackets. <laughs> that's play. right. That's you. right. That you got to get in the offense right away if you're not getting easy baskets. So – and by the way, Georgia Tech, they do this to a lot of people, that it, it, it can be hard to score against them in the half court. So what you want to do is get stops, turn them over, get some runouts, get some easy baskets. If you do that, you're, you're in good shape. Unless you have a brilliant shooting game, which Virginia Tech did in the first half against Syracuse, which Virginia Tech did against UVA. But if you're not having a great shooting night against them, you're looking around, are they in a 2-3? Are they in a diamond triangle in two? Are they in a box in one? What what? What are they doing? And by the time you figure it out, Rick, there's 14 on the shot clock. Right, right. And now you're taking a bad shot. And, and, and it's Georgia Tech's way of mucking it up, so to speak. And they do a really good job at that. Uh, they are offensively challenged. Virginia Tech should win this game tonight. But as we watch the game tonight, take a look at the body language on the Hokies when they're in the half court. If, the, if Tech's turning them over and the Hokies are getting some runouts, that'll be a good sign. Matchups, man. Every game comes down to matchups. It's very intriguing. The game within a game. It's Bill Roth and the Roth Report. We're going to step out, take a break. Bill's going to come back. Get us updated what's going on with the SMA. He's got a really cool guest coming in. It'll be the Baker Team Game of the Week and the NRV Heart Clinic Top 3. All that's coming up as we motor along here on a Wednesday on BDST with the Roth Report with the voice of Virginia Tech football, Bill Roth. More coming up. 
This is Rick Watson, voice of the Radford University Highlanders and host of Big Dog Sports Talk. Let me tell you about my friend Louise Baker with the Louise Baker team of Long and Foster. If you are looking to buy or sell here in the NRV, I can think of nobody better to take care of your real estate needs than Louise. She's meticulous, very detail-oriented, and will work to make what can be a very stressful time as stress-free as possible. Call Louise today for all of your real estate needs. You'll be glad you did. For more information, go to nrvhomes.com. That's nrvhomes.com. First in Maine is a beautiful shopping center located right here in Blacksburg. It has the perfect mix of shops, restaurants, and entertainment. Grab some new shoes and accessories at Runabout Sports and Walkabout Outfitter to make your hikes around the NRV even better. Looking to grab a bite to eat? Well, First in Maine has great restaurants like Zoe's Kitchen, Bull and Bones, Avellino's, and El Rodeo. Looking for some family entertainment? Then check out B&B Theaters for movies, the arcade, and bowling. Visit First in Maine today. The official entertainment entertainment destination of Virginia Tech Athletics. From the classroom to the studio to the stadium, it's time to catch up on the latest from Virginia Tech Sports Media and Analytics program. Today's SMA update is brought to you by First in Maine, Blacksburg's premier destination to eat, drink, shop, and play. And we are back with Bill Roth and the Roth Report. And what is happening with the SMA this week? I could spend a half hour talking about our sports media analytics program. We've added, we being Learfield, Learfield has added Virginia Tech softball to its uh, commercial broadcasting package. Mm -hmm. Hokies have a really popular softball team. They're elite, they're championship caliber. As we know, they've been packing that stadium. So we're we're adding uh, radio broadcasts to softball. And we're going to have a group of SMA students who have been working and auditioning uh, since last fall. Uh, and so we announced last week our broadcast crew for that. Softball season is here. Hokies are off to a good start, and they're going to broadcast every home game. So we're excited about that, and that will be 100% student run. Nice. Uh, baseball gets going this weekend. I know that it feels a little weird, middle of February. <laughs> the regular season is here. Hokies open in Charleston, and our, our kids will be calling every baseball game as well. On Learfield, it will be Evan Hughes. But the next week when Evan has to miss – women's basketball baseball play at the same time at exactly the same time mm-hmm. uh we're gonna have one of our students fill in uh and, and so i'm really excited about that and then in class next week this is cool uh this is really exciting uh, rich russo was the director is the director for fox's number one nfl crew he did the super bowl last sunday night it was his fifth super bowl uh Rich is going to visit with our class via Zoom and one-on-one have a chance to talk with our students. And so delighted that within a few days of doing the Super Bowl, we have a chance to talk with the guy that called all those shots on Sunday. With uh, I think he had 44 game cameras and 16 <laughs> robots and 13 <laughs> pylon cams and um, how he tells the story. They did a really nice job. There were some very key replays in that game. I'm not sure if you're aware there were some – there were some very close calls in the <laughs> yes, Super Bowl. Absolutely. <laughs> and 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 Rich and, and his crew. Now it's easy when you have all those cameras to get the perfect look, but even then, right? The, yeah. the holding call at the end, right. was it a catch or not? Um that was Rich punching up the shots on uh on Sunday. Well, I'd like to sit in on that. That'd be intriguing. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. What an education for those young people, too, to see, to go into the process of how one of those huge, huge games have to be pulled off like that. So cool. So cool. Um, 
All right, so what are you looking at here for your Baker team game of the week? we got lots of college hoops going forward. Now the football's over, baseball not here yet. Where are you going with it this weekend? This was hard because, uh, you know, if the Hokies win tonight, that pit game Saturday. Oh, my goodness, that's right. Pittsburgh. By the way, can, we're, not, we're not here to pub pit. But everyone take a look at the ACC men's basketball. <laughs> I know, I know. How? <laughs> Every game. <laughs> Who's first? Yeah. You get another win last night. Really, you know, and they've been really good in football. The, 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 the underrated administrator in our league is Heather Likes at Pitt. Yeah. Um, Pitt has really turned it around. They really have. In major sports. They, they, they won some championships. And uh, Anyway, uh, I'm going to the Big 12 for our Baker team game of the week. Okay. Men's basketball game. Baylor at Kansas. Always a good rivalry game. Absolutely. Big 12 has been so, so good. I think they're two national championship contenders. Jalen Wilson from Kansas has just been playing so well. Really good-looking six-eight guy, and 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 Baylor won the first game at home. Now here's the rematch. Every night in the Big Twelve is just ridiculous this year. It's like the the way the ACC used to be. Yes, I think so it's, many good teams. It's the best league. Kansas had that little yeah. three-game skid, and and they've bounced back. I don't know if it's four out of five or five of six that it has won. Uh, but here comes Baylor, their nemesis from Waco. Does Bill Self's amazing track record get a little tainted his record overall because of all the things he's been tied into off the court? I mean, because he's a terrific head basketball coach. He if always you look wins. at it through Kansas blue sunglasses. <laughs> evidently, the answer is no. Right. <laughs> Very true. But he just you wins. Know, the, 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 he, he wins, and, and how he has escaped any, any persecution, and while others have not, with his program is, is – uh, unusual and you know i think a lot of um to, to answer your question i think for some people his legacy will be tainted yes overall for some people for right. others it will not be right others will say well, he wasn't doing anything that other programs were not doing very true very very true but um they got in a little bit too deep they did yeah i think you're right though given where he is it just kind of goes away a little bit Hey, we had a texter ask, how's Baxter doing? We haven't heard from Baxter in a while. So we had uh, a Super Bowl party in Baxter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Did, did we did we discuss the menu? Um, yeah, I think so. I wanted to ask you how all that, how that, how did it all come together? So here's what we went with for the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, we, went, we went with sliders. I had never done this before. Great call. Sliders with those little Hawaiian buns. <sighs> yes. Yes. There were wings and pizza there, too, just as a backup in case I messed it up. <laughs> just as a backup, yeah. <laughs> but I made basically a slider bar. So, yeah, I had little shredded lettuce, and then I had little tomatoes and pickles, and we had all the condiments and whatnot. <sighs> and, uh, and then everyone brought a side or a bottle of something. And, and so. Awesome. Anyway, Baxter was treated like royalty. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> everyone gave him half a slider. <laughs> yeah. So he's a big Super Bowl fan. I have a, a wonderful... Uh, he, everyone is shocked that he's a golden doodle because he looks like a golden retriever. <laughs> uh, but he, he's in, incredibly uh, obedient and um, calm and quiet. And he was bred as initially that the, the, the breeder in, in, in Alabama, they bred him as, as service dogs. And he was the second litter of this uh, group, the, the, the mom and dad. The first one, three of the nine are service dogs. And you can tell they're, they're very calm. He's he's great. Well, next time you're in studio, man, if you, you, you want just, me to bring the dog, I would love to beat Baxter. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I think that'd be great. Okay. 
All right. Now I'll try to get some sliders ahead of time if you give me <laughs> if you give me a head up. No, he doesn't get people suit. So you know, so right, right. He learned the other day what he'd been missing all these years. <laughs> That's I right. don't feed him scraps. He doesn't get any people food. But I couldn't keep track. There were so many people at the house running around. <laughs> Uh, all right, time now for Bill's NRV Heart Clinic Top 3. Three, two, one. Are you ready for today's countdown? It's time for Bill's Top 3, presented by New River Valley Heart Clinic in Radford. Always do a great job, all the folks at NRV Heart Clinic. Where are you going with the Top 3 this week? So Alabama's number one in the AP basketball poll. Yeah. Shocking to a lot yeah. of people, but Coach Oates has done an amazing job there. Alabama number one on the men's side, South Carolina number one on the women's side. The ACC flexing, flexing in hoops. Um, you know, Alabama had its only NCAA Final Four appearance vacated because of uh, NCAA rules at the time. So they've never officially made a Final Four. But I was thinking, who are the top three programs in college basketball that have gone to the most tournaments but have never made it to the Final Four? Oh, okay. So you know, there are a lot of teams that have never made it to the Final Four. Sure. But what about the teams that have made it to the tournament the most times without making it? So I did some research last night, uh, and, and, and this surprised me. I think I sent you the answers to this, didn't I? You did, and number one really surprised me. Number three, the team with the third most NCAA tournament appearances without ever having made the Final Four is Missouri. 27 times. 27 tournament appearances without making the Final Four. That's third. Okay. Number two, Xavier, 28 appearances. They never made the Final Four. That one. And number one, okay, yeah, this has one. made the most NCAA tournaments and a team that has been so good over the years. <laughs> right. 29 times they've made the NCAA tournament. They may have, they've been in several different leagues. They may have won more league titles than, than anyone else. True. Bouncing right. around. Yeah, yeah. BYU, yes. 29 NCAA tournaments without making the Final Four. That one really surprised me, going back to the Danny Ainge years and all that. I mean, that's amazing. They're in it every year, right? It seems like you see BYU in a bracket. That one surprised me, really does. That It surprised me, too, that, uh, that they haven't been able to make it yet. But, yeah, they've been in there a bunch. They've been one of the biggest programs. They've got... A fan base, Hokies have been out there that they pack that place. They do, man. It's raucous. It's raucous out there for basketball and football, but especially in that arena. So, so, so anyway, Missouri, Xavier, our, BYU. Yeah, it's good. Good that's choices. That's our NRV Heart Clinic top three. All right. What you got this week? Uh, we've got we got a couple big ones for Radford. We've got well tomorrow night's the ESPNU game against Asheville, and if they win, we're in first, tied for first. And then you've got the defending champs, Longwood, on Saturday have to go to Farmville. So it's a big, big week. That first game with Radford Longwood Hoops. was pretty intense. It really was. It really was. That's become a nice little rivalry. So it's a, it's a, it's a big uh, two tough games in three days, short turnaround time when the games move from Wednesday to Thursday. But, yeah, big week for Radford. Big week. Well, the Hokies have uh, jackets on the road tonight. Right. And then the Pittsburgh Panthers. Yeah. On Saturday. That you just talked about being in first, yeah. It's just February. We have another month to the tournament. Yep, right. 
By the way, we're going to put together, um, I've been working with the league office and some other colleagues. We're putting together a student media seminar at the ACC tournament. Oh, very cool. That is going to be open to not only all student media that are credentialed for this tournament, but any Greensboro Central College students or anyone who's in town. So for a, a student at, at Elon or High Point or North Carolina A&T or UNC Greensboro, mm-hmm. we're inviting those students but uh, the students from the 15 teams in the ACC that are covering the tournament, and there are a bunch of students that cover this, and we're going to have – it's going to be a great panel. We're going to have uh, Seth Greenberg going to talk about how, how to handle coaches after a loss <laughs> in a press conference or one-on-one. We're going to have some producers. We're going to have Dave O'Brien from ESPN. David Teal has agreed to represent the writers. Nice. And so we're going to do that on uh, Wednesday at the ACC tournament. So – I, I need to do a better job of getting Teal in our classes. The problem is is that Teal lives down in Newport News, and that's a hike. The that is, that's a long way, yeah. You're right. You're right. And and so we're going to finally get him. I've had him in class before, but we're going to get him in front of uh, students from every conference school uh, at the ACC tournament. And I'll talk more about this next week, but okay. every ACC student media member at this event will be better for having been around David Teal Absolutely. for a couple of weeks. Absolutely. And it's who we'll be talking to next. I hope you have a great rest of the week, William. Good stuff as always. All right, pal. Bye-bye. Appreciate you. There you go. That's Bill Roth and the Roth Report. He just mentioned David Teal, and we're segueing right in to David Teal when we come back as you roll along here on the Hump Day Wednesday edition. Good morning. This is Kimberly McBroom in the WDBJ7 newsroom with our latest update. In Henry County, one person is dead after shooting at the Northview Gardens Apartments last night. The victim, Deshaun Ross, died at the scene. Warrants have been issued for Jahari Pritchett of Martinsville for first-degree murder. A Roanoke City jail inmate is charged with secondary murder for the death of another inmate. Tuesday morning, deputies conducted a security check and found Wayne Harper with blood on himself. Around the same time, another inmate in the cell was found unresponsive and was later pronounced dead. And Virginia lawmakers are moving to prevent future tragedies on college campuses. House of Delegates, Republicans and Senate Democrats passed two separate but similar bills that boost threat assessment teams at public universities. This comes three months after the UVA shooting that left three football players dead. That's your latest news update on the talk of the New River Valley, WRAD. The Louise Baker team with Long and Foster Realtors wishes you a wonderful new year. Buffalo and Moore, a small business in Reiner, opening January the 4th in their new location at 4040 Reiner Road. Remember them for catering, family-style meals, and their new deli selection. Check Facebook for new hours and more details. Louise, Marshall, and Rhonda wish you the best in 2023. First in Maine is a beautiful shopping center located right here in Blacksburg. It has the perfect mix of shops, restaurants, and entertainment. Grab some new shoes and accessories at Runabout Sports and Walkabout Outfitter to make your hikes around the NRV even better. Looking to grab a bite to eat? Well, First in Maine has great restaurants like Zoe's Kitchen, Bull and Bones, Avellino's, and El Rodeo. Looking for some family entertainment? Then check out B&B Theaters for movies, the arcade, and bowling. Visit First in Maine today. The official entertainment destination of Virginia Tech Athletics. Thirty-six minutes past the hour here on this Wednesday. Thanks to Bill Roth. Great stuff from him. Keon Brown in hour number one. Joining us now on the program, 
course, he is the Hall of Famer from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. None better than David Hill. David, how are you? Good morning. Good morning, Rick. Appreciate the time, David. And uh, my goodness, let's just jump right into it. You were there front and center for the biggest controversy we've had in a long time regarding the officials in college basketball. It's still lingering. I'm still hearing from people. And first of all, just so in case people don't understand what happened, uh, can you lay it out for them in case they didn't quite get the grasp of it reading about it after the fact? Okay, it's 58-58, 1.2 seconds remaining in regulation. Side out of bounds for Duke. Tyrese Proctor throws a bounce pass to Kyle Filipowski. He's airborne for a dunk. You've beaten Ryan Dunn back door. Reese Beekman slides over weak side and jumps to block the attempted dunk. Buzzer or horn sounds. Whistle sounds, arm goes up, foul called, mass confusion rain. <laughs> right. <laughs> and no one knows what the Dickens is going on. They go to the monitor and essentially wave off the foul call. And we go to overtime where Virginia won. Now, the PA announcer says... There was no foul on the play. That's what the PA announces. Mm -hmm. Like, you mean they called a foul and they waved it off from replay? That's not supposed to happen. Right. And afterward, neither John Shire nor Tony Bennett had clarity as to what was going on, which really torqued. Shire off, you know, because he came out on the losing end. So I went down to the official locker room along with Virginia's basketball SID in an attempt to gain some clarity from the officials, but it had been too long. The press conferences had taken so long, the officials were gone. And so we were left with a lot of questions and no answers until about five hours later when the ACC issued its statement, the referees had botched the rules. They didn't know the rules. They had called a foul after the clock. They ruled the foul it occurred after the clock had expired. It was not on Beekman, which we all thought it was. It was on Ryan Dunn, the trailing defender. But despite the fact that it was after the clock had expired, Free throws should have been administered. And by the way, for all the conspiracy theorists and deniers out there, that is also the opinion of the NCAA's national coordinator of officials. That that is the rule, that's the rule that should have been applied, and it was missed. So there's no questioning the error by the officials at all, right? You're going to the highest level. And it goes even beyond frustrating just to hear you explain how there it is again, David, no accountability. And this is what's got fans so fired up, and rightfully so, right? It's so unfair to so many different parties. Well, at the end of the day, there will be accountability. The ACC admitted the error. I suspect that the official in question, Tim Clockerty, Jeff Anderson, and, uh, oh, um, Lee Cassell, um, have been essentially 
punished in some way, whether they've been suspended, for, missed an assignment. Trust me, they, they will not walk away from this scot-free, and they've had their names all over social media and regular, and regular media. So in, in that regard, there is accountability. But what is frustrating, I think, to everyone is in the immediate aftermath, there was not clarity. Mm -hmm. There was confusion. And when the rules are not applied coherently or correctly, those invested in the competition deserve better. And they, they deserve answers, hopefully, sooner rather than later. And five hours after the game probably isn't good enough. The Hall of Famer, David Teal, joining us on the program, which leads us into your terrific piece that you wrote about it that uh, a few listeners had sent to me as well, uh, entitled Respect and Transparency in Collegiate Officiating, Not Mutually Exclusive. And I thought you brought up so many great points throughout that piece, as you normally do. And it's interesting, too, David, you, you talk to some coaches, and there's a difference in judgment calls as opposed to what happened right that's what fans need to understand people that say hey you talk about the officiating all the time but there's a difference isn't it between what happens saturday and what basically happens during the course of 40 minutes yes i'm not here rick to debate with anybody whether ryan dunn or reese beekman fouled kyle phillip right right was there some contact yes did I see more contact earlier in the game that wasn't called? 100% yes. But these are judgment calls. Mm -hmm. And we can't relitigate every judgment call or we're going to live our lives at the daggum TV monitor That's right. in, front our, and in front of our DVRs tweeting video clips. That's no way to live. That's not the way I want to live. But when it comes to getting the rules correct, that's where you have to have accountability. And that situation, just how I'm sitting here trying to imagine how it had to have been for everybody, yourself included, covering it, having to get through that overtime, and everybody's still asking the questions, right? It's just a failure, yeah. failure on every level. It really is. Yeah, and, and, and Rick, you, you're aware of this as well because you spent a lot of time on, on Press Row as, as a radio guy. Mm-hmm. And, and now the writers are rarely courtside. But how many times have you seen officials come to the television and or radio crew to explain what they have just done? All the time. So, right. Right. So you can enlighten the audience. That didn't happen on Saturday either. It, it's almost an admission that they all got together and said, well, I'm not really sure what the rule is, so let's just stay with what we called, right? I mean, that's just the way it appears. Nobody had an answer amongst that trio as to what the official rule should have been uh, called at that time. Yeah, and these, these are good officials. I mean, Jeff Anderson has worked the last five Final Fours. He worked last season's national championship game between Carolina and Kansas. Well... And you, you give reference to your friend Luke DeCock and what he says. He writes for the Raleigh News and Observer about how the ACC has to tweak its policy, right, in terms of the access yeah. to officials by the media, which is something I've been calling for for a long time. It still makes no sense to me, David, why these folks don't have to stand up 
and speak to reporters who aren't going after them. They just want answers. But the student athletes are expected to go up there and give a reaction. Right. And we don't expect the, the officials to come to, to a press conference. This is just asking for a pool reporter to go down and get a statement, ask some questions, and then share all those quotes with the media contingent. And what the ACC's policy currently is, is that it expects the home SID, the sports information director, to do that. That doesn't work. The home sports information director is busy getting his coach to the interview room, getting his player interviews done, and all that. It should be up to a designated pool reporter, which I was after the fact on Saturday, but it was too late. You've covered so many games. Have you seen very often a rule like that be completely missed by an entire crew? Not talking about a, a questionable call, but just how a rule wasn't applied correctly before. Yeah, not very often. I mean, I, I go back to the same two teams, same city, Duke, Duke, Virginia, at University Hall in 1997, and just mass confusion involving a substitution at the scores table, and uh, the, the, the officiating crew was summarily reprimanded by the ACC office because they butchered it. David Teal joining us on the program, the award-winning and Hall of Fame writer. Well, I've got listeners asking, can you ask Dave, will anything come of this? Will anything be tweaked going forward, or is this just going to be the statement that the ACC released, and that's the end of it? Yeah, I don't expect any more from the ACC. They're not going to reveal what they have done internally with the officials. But none of them worked any of the ACC games last night. Okay. I suspect none of them will work any of the ACC games. Tonight in which case we could probably put two and two together. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, if you're absent, <laughs> there's a reason you're absent, right? That's what you have to understand. Yeah, it won't, it won't become public, but you just have to kind of look with your eyes and understand what's going on. Like you just said, that's the accountability that we don't necessarily hear officially about, but we can kind of figure it out, right? Yep. All right, before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit of things that's happening on the floor in the ACC. I mean – Take your pick. I mean, Bill just made a great point about Pitt and how we don't really talk about them enough with the year they've had now with 12 wins after their win last night. How do you look at the best team in the ACC now, in your opinion? Miami does it a different way than UVA, but boy, they didn't have much problem at all down at Chapel Hill. And now you have this Pitt team who, if Tech holds serve tonight, big game for them on Saturday against the Panthers. How do you look at the top three in the ACC right now? I would rank them Virginia, Miami, Kent. Uh, Virginia, to me, is the most complete team offensively and defensively. I also happen to think Tony Bennett's the best coach in the league. Uh, Jim Laranaga is probably a pretty darn close second. Mm -hmm. Um, And Miami is the best offensive team, but has serious deficiencies on the defensive side, Pitt watched him last night. Can't wait to see him in person Saturday in Blacksburg. And they have had just a remarkable season. Again, the power of the portal. 
Ellie Cummings, Blake Henson, uh, Jamarius Burton. He's not a first-year transfer, but he's been in the program. But uh, Henson and Cummings are first-year transfers, first-year in the pit program. Mm-hmm. Just shows you, and you can get old and good in a hurry. And bravo to Jeff Capel and his staff for meshing all those newcomers with their returnees uh, and getting that program turned around. Uh, I think it was Mike Young. Yeah, the other day on the ACC call, said this reminds him of the old pit team. Mm -hmm. And by that, those are the teams that Jamie Dixon coached when they the latter stages of the Big East and then into the ACC. And before Jamie Dixon, Ben Howard, mm-hmm. uh, who, who had them rolling before he went to UCLA. Yeah, just defense and hard-nosed, blue-collar, yeah. just like that city, uh, right? My goodness. Whew. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, interesting uh, to see and, uh, and, and you know, I – I'm going to ask you an unfair question just because I've gotten text for you, Dave. Real quick, right now, I know it's impossible to predict what's going to happen. How deep do you think the ACC will go as a terms of representation in the tournament? Oh, in the tournament? Yeah. How many do you think? Six, seven, maybe? Yeah, I think I think six, perhaps seven, uh, you know, depending on, you know, Carolina's got work to do. Oh, my Big goodness. Time. Yeah. Or the Star Heels are going to become the first preseason number one in the 64 team era not to make the field. Uh, but, you know, I, I think NC State's going to get there. Clemson really needs to win tonight because the metrics do not like Clemson. But I, I, I do think eventually Clemson will get there. So you couple Clemson and NC State. With your top three, that gives you five. Then you've got Carolina. You know, then you've got Wake. Uh, is is Syracuse making a late push? Mm, probably too little, too late for the Deacons. And let's not forget the Hokies. You know, if if, if they can run it here, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and get things going, the metrics like the Hokies a whole lot better. Then they like Clemson. Right, right. Well, thanks for the clarity, and that was a very, very detailed breakdown. I hope it helped a lot of our listeners and a great piece following up everything you experienced this past weekend. And have a safe trip to Blacksburg on Saturday. Looking forward to it, Rick. Thank you. Thank you, David. Appreciate you, man. There you go. That's the best. David Teal joining us on the program. And that is a very thorough and very nice breakdown of everything that happened in Charlottesville. All right, we're coming back to wrap it up. Remind you what's ahead tomorrow on the Thursday edition as we finish up what has been a very busy, busy and productive program here on a Wednesday. something how oh, you missed that well here it is listen to big dog sports talk anytime yeah we missed you so much available wherever you get your podcasts bdsd will return in a moment on wrad
wrapping it up here on a very busy Wednesday. Thanks to Keon Brown, Bill Roth, and David Teal. Appreciate you as always. Great conversations as we've had throughout our time together on most days here on the program. Tomorrow, I believe Andy Bitter's joining us. We hope. I'd like to uh, get his thoughts on what uh, Bill just talked about talking with Coach Pry. Brent Pry going to be with us, by the way, on uh, Friday, I believe. Yes, he will be on with us at 8.30-ish or so, 8.35 on Friday for about uh, 15 minutes. So we're looking forward to that. But um, Alex Ware will be on tomorrow, Radford's baseball coach, his first year. And we'll have Andy, and we'll have Dwight Vick as well. So we're going to have a busy, busy Thursday here on the program. See how Tech does. We'll have a review of that in the first hour. UVA as well, shouldn't have any problem. I wouldn't think either team would have any problems, but, you know, we don't want to take any of that for granted because you just never know, as I did um, when BC came to town, right? Thought that was a no-brainer. Didn't happen. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Going to be temperatures around 60, a little higher than that, even though it's going to be overcast, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Thursday edition. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day. Center for. I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, New River Valley.